Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a golf course. 70 courses. Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursion? Time for chill vibes. Beach How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Yum Yang is an ancient theory of yin and yang and says that the five elements, earth, wind, fire, wood, metal, and water, make up the universe. Korean food revolves around this concept, and on the Korean table, garnishes, accompaniments, and dishes with five colors represent each of these five elements. In traditional Korean cooking, food is medicine, and by balancing the elements in what we are consuming, we create balance and wellness in the body. No other dish evokes and represents this theory as strongly as bibimbap. Bibimbap literally means mixed rice, and though there is no particular recipe, it is a sizzling rice bowl that is topped with colorful vegetable garnishes and a fried egg. Yeah, bibimbap means it's a mixed rice with a vegetable. And we use the stone pot and we heat the pot and the sizzling, we make the sizzling stone pot bibimbap. And we Meet Sunmen Lee. My Korean name is Sunmi Lee. And my restaurant's name is Jeonju Restaurant. And Jeonju is one of the cities in Korea. It's very famous for the bibimbap. And we are specialized in the bibimbap. That's how we got the name from Jeonju. Yeah, bibimbap. Sunmi is a second generation owner of Jeonju restaurant that has been specializing in serving bibimbap for 22 years. A bowl of bibimbap at Jeonju balances the five elements through color, flavor, and texture. White strands of crispy daikon radish on a bed of rice, rich yellow in eggs and crunchy raw bean sprouts, red in the thinly sliced carrots and spicy hot Korean chili paste gochujang. These warm colors, full of yang, 
are balanced in a bowl of bibimbap with cool yin colors, like the blue and the black of inky mushrooms, the deep forest green of dried seaweed, and the gentle char on barbecued meats or seafoods. Actually, this restaurant is, was owned by my father and mother 22 years ago. And my father is from Jeonju, it's his hometown. So he got the recipe from his best friend who had a very, very famous bibimbap restaurant in Jeonju. So he started the restaurant. But since my mom passed away, the 2005, I started to have ownership from there. So it's been like more than 15 years. And I really love cooking. And I like to see people eating my food and make them happy. That's why I have uh, still be owner of a Jeonju restaurant. Along with bibimbap of today, we are served almost a dozen small plates called banchan. Like many East Asian cultures, Korean food does not follow a course-by-course sequence. Rather, it's a shared meal where all the dishes are served at the same time. Usually, this means that most of the space on the table is occupied by a full spread of dozens of dishes, ranging from larger mains like the aforementioned bibimbap to smaller pickled side dishes like the banchan. The number of dishes usually follows a pattern, three, five, seven, nine, and 12 dish table settings, according to the number of side dishes. Today on Point of Origin, we're exploring Korea's ancient culinary traditions and their modern adaptations. Our first guest, Jihae Kim, is the chef and partner at Miss Kim's Restaurant in Ann Arbor, Michigan, where she's making a both regional and also a revival kind of Korean cuisine of her youth and her ancestry. Can you tell us some formative food memories from growing up in Seoul? One of them is uh, my mother making Napa cabbage kimchi during the fall. And I remember it being very communal. Uh, we lived in an area where we had a lot of neighborhood women and, and a lot of relatives. And they'll gather together. And I remember their conversations like, should we have 100 heads of cabbage? At the time, I think I was like seven years old. So what looked to a seven-year-old, like mountains and mountains of Napa cabbage just being brined with like all the favorite neighborhood women and aunts, aunties, and so that that was very memorable. Kimchi is a staple in Korean cuisine as a famous traditional side dish made from salted and fermented vegetables like Korean radish or Napa cabbage with the addition of a varying selection of seasonings like gochu garu, spring onions, garlic, ginger, etc. For Jihae Kim, the Napa cabbage her mother made is the one that she considers to be the gold standard. Because when you grow up with a mother who cooks everything from scratch, you 
you tend to think that that's all you need to know about Korean food. You've got it, right? You, your mom's fabulous. Everything's made from scratch. But it's only recently that I realized that a lot of food that she was cooking was actually regional cooking from Gyeonggi Providence, where her family's from. That's the central part of Korea. So compared to the southern, more southern Providence, the Gyeonggi Providence recipe goes for balance and it's not as salty or as spicy as, say, like Jeolla Providence or Gyeongsang uh, Providence that's uh, known for more saltiness and more heavier use of fermented seafood. So then I realized that all the food that I was eating was actually not necessarily standard, but like a one part of many kinds of regional cooking in Korea. So when I decided to go into the kitchen and become a cook, I started approaching it kind of like a, a study subject because I can be a little nerdy. And because my mom was very protective of her own recipes. And number two, she didn't think that I should uh, be in the kitchen. So she wasn't very upfront with her own knowledge. Um, so what I did was that I started reading books. I just um, started collecting all the books. And then what really caught my attention was these uh, old cookbooks from like 18th century, 19th century, 17th century. I think the oldest one goes all the way to like 16th century. A lot of it uh, refers to the uh, preservation techniques and how to make alcohol out of grains and things like that. And that was just amazing discovery. And then I got really hooked because it was breaking a lot of my own preconceived notion of what Korean food is. And by going more in depth into ancient cooking and trying to understand the story, uh, the evolution of Korean cooking, it almost made me feel more free. So one example would be that I have Korean-American customers come in and tell me that um, Koreans do not use cilantro, but that's not true. And then I have Korean-American customers come in and say that there is no cheese in Korean cuisine, and that's also not true because there's a very, very old cheese recipe, and it sounds exactly like ricotta to me. Like you take the milk and then you season it like ocean water it says and then you curdle it over the over the heat and if it doesn't curdle very well then you can throw in a little vinegar or a little uh, bakoli which is a uh, fermented rice wine and it tastes different than ricotta because we're using different acid but the process itself is almost identical and then i found recipes that look like uh, french head cheese like cured hams and so it's just like pretty amazing to see where the Korean people has been eating, like what they have been eating a few centuries ago and what they're eating now and how that became. Yeah. Um, the use of meat doesn't come into play until Joseon Kingdom, I think that lasted 500 years. So up until 500, 600 years ago, Korea was a Buddhist kingdom. So consumption of meat was fairly small. So a lot of use of different vegetables uh, was more, more prolific. And I think uh, as a chef, it's more interesting 
Because mm-hmm. how do you how do you preserve and make things tasty um, when you don't have a lot of meat products? Especially if you're in the mountain area and you're Buddhist, what do you do? So what I see is like not only agriculture but foraging. So food is medicine. Everything's edible. If it's mm-hmm. not going to kill you, it's edible. Um, <laughs> and um, like many many different grains. So very recently, running a restaurant, you you hear a lot of like celiac disease or autoimmune or like people just avoiding wheat. When I see Korean cooking, they're really versatile at using different grains and different grain flour. You know, multi-grain rice is an obvious one, but you can also make noodles not just out of wheat. And there's long history of making like potato noodles or like different types of noodles that like those dishes are fully formed and developed and just as tasty as like wheat dishes. So when you think about the story, broadly speaking, of Korean cuisine, what are some some highlights or some milestones in that history? You don't really see uh, use of uh, chili peppers. I mean, there's story like there's some theories out there that it came from Latin America in the 17th century, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But if you look at the cookbooks, you don't see it probably being featured until like late 18th century. And but when it comes in, like Korean people love that, and then they start adding to kimchi. So kimchi didn't look like as fiery and red as it does today. It was more of like more akin to sauerkraut in a sense that it had some aromatics, but it was pretty much a salt cure of a vegetable preservation. And then once the chili flakes comes in, that that becomes like we really embrace it and then really take it on. And then now we the Korean food have a reputation of like being spicy. Gochu, which means pepper in Korean, is very subtle with sweet and citrusy notes. It's sort of tangy, but not really hot. Put gochu is the name when the peppers are young, green, and used similar to fresh bell peppers. Honggochu is what the peppers are called when they are red and ready to be harvested and dried for gochugaru, or red chili powder. More so than spice, the change that Jihei sees in modern Korean cuisine is the addition of sugar. That's a very, very recent development. And I would say another development is the import of like black pepper and sugar. Sugar and black pepper, like very, very like simple kitchen staple, but it's not around until very recently. Before we were using honey. And actually, not a lot of sweetness at all. But I do notice that there's very little sugar in ancient cookbooks. Sweetener is used very sparsely, and it's like a tablespoon of honey for an entire pot of something. And my only guess, and this is just a guess, would be that like you see a lot of changes to Korean cooking with like in like 1950s with the modernization in Korean War. Uh, U.S. troops come in. That's when you see like more use of dairy and butter and cheese, which is now quite popular in Korea. And I'm wondering if that would be the point. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. only like after 1930s cookbooks that I start seeing like bigger proportions of sugars going in. Mm-hmm. And then the proliferation of restaurant culture, I think that also kind of like pushes 
more use of sugar, but also more use of salt and more use of MSG and more use of spices. Yeah, just more, more, more. And I, I think that time period that you're speaking to, kind of like mid 20th century, even in the States, where we start to see the proliferation of grocery stores and a lot more consolidation of the food chain yeah. and supply as people are now being encouraged to, you know, eat food from packages and boxes as a means of convenience. Yeah. So this um, a commodification of food. That's yeah. Right. I mean, you see this in the United States too around the same time. That's right. Yeah. So that that seems to check out and I think, you know, the same thing is happening in lots of places around the world for the same reason. And you know, up until like late nineteenth century, like Korea was enclosed. We were known as the Hermit Kingdom, mm-hmm. so there was not a whole lot of things uh, coming in from like west. Definitely, I mean, a lot of trades were with China and Japan. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual-wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, stay connected wherever you go and transform your vehicle into a dependable Wi-Fi hotspot. Powering applications like real-time GPS and voice assistant, navigation becomes a breeze. Even on the practice field, AT&T in-car Wi-Fi keeps you connected while in proximity of your vehicle. Work, stream shows, or finish homework without missing a beat. See if you're eligible for a free trial at att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi. Don't let connectivity be a roadblock in your journey. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Mm. The swift labor, because long time ago, we didn't have much sugar in our food. Mm-hmm. 
But these days, the young generation, they want more like impact on their palate. Mm-hmm. So our food is getting spicier. And to make it balanced, then they need more sweet flavor. Mm. So the true spicy flavor from our ancestor is from from the chili powder or chili paste. It's the spiciness is it was very heavy and then it comes, you know, very slowly. But these days the spiciness of Korean food is it comes very rapid. Because they are using, you know, capsaicin sauce. They take out only the spiciness from the chilies and then they make a really hot spicy sauce. So to kill the spiciness, you know, they use abundant amount of sugar, you know, or like a corn syrup. But the true sweetness of our cuisine comes from like rice syrup, which needs to spend a long time to make it rather than like in a very easy product like a corn syrup things. Yeah, so it's changing a lot. When I was young... That's Soyoung Jung, who is the co-founder of Buri Kitchen. Buri in Korean means root. Through their website, Buri Kitchen, which is Soyoung and her co-founder, Sonia, who you will hear from later in the episode, share what they learned in talking to farmers, fishers, and vendors about the history of Korean ingredients. Her explanation of modern adaptations of Korean cuisine all can be explained in the evolution of taste. A global increase in a taste for sugar has also meant that those traditional recipes, like the ones that Jihei researched extensively before opening Miss Kim's, are now harder to find. Wrong way, but you pronounce it right. And do you have memories from your childhood? of this cuisine before it became so sweet and spicy? Yeah, of course. When I was young, my mom's food or my grandma's food, it wasn't sweet. It was savory rather than spicy and sweet. Mm -hmm. But these days, the Korean food is described as mostly spicy food or, you know, spicy and sweet food. Just wondering, um, for people who aren't familiar with Korean food, what are mm-hmm. what are some dishes or ingredients or some characteristics of the mm-hmm. of the diet that really are typical in in Korean food? People usually they start with like bulgogi or japchae or kimchi, those kind of recipes, right? Mm-hmm. But also something like you know japchae and bulgogi will be a way sweeter at the restaurant and saltier. Mm-hmm. And if you go to someone's house in Korea, you will find out, you know, the bulgogi will be pretty bland. And you will be pretty surprised, you know, the with the difference of the flavor difference. And obviously, you know, fermentation plays such a a central role in Korean food, and most notably in kimchi. Korean cuisine has a long and rich history of fermentation, which dates back thousands of years. It's part of what makes the food distinctly Korean and also incredibly delicious. 
These recipes range from light and tangy to deep and complex. I think it's the flavor that you can remember from even your mother's womb <laughs> for Korean. And even though when I was really young, my generation was eating kimchi, even though I was too young and if I couldn't eat it because it was too spicy, then my mom's generation, they rinsed it in the water and then they give, they feed us, you know, kimchi. Mm. But these days, you know, young generation, the young mother, they never force, you know, their kids to eat kimchi like that. So the memory of the kimchi is also changing. Seong Jung guides us through a regional tour of South Korea from the vantage point of three distinctive styles of preserved fish. Their methodology and curing are all unique. It's a story that ran as our cover for Whetstone Magazine, Volume 2. So uh, the first one that we have is the, the Guamegi, um, which is from the southeast coast. Guamegi is a dried fish. Uh, you can dry herring or celery. It is dried near the seaside because, you know, the sea breeze, you know, it's freezing the fish and thawing like repeatedly. It gives really interesting texture of the fish. So if you go to the the Pohang area where it's famous for drying this fish during the winter time, then you can see like in a thousand and thousand thousand fishes hang outside and then drying there like you're dripping oils in the outside. Is that a methodology that is practiced in coastal areas around Korea or is that just in this one particular region? You can say it's one of the methodology in Korea. Yeah, but Hamegi is a very famous from uh, Pohang mm-hmm. because the Pohang is the city where it's near to the sea and it has the perfect condition, you know, to dry this, you know, freezing, thawing, drying method for this fish. And then if we were to go to the northern part of the country, uh, we see Huangte, mm-hmm. which is a kind of pollock. Can you tell us about that? The Huangte is really interesting fish because it's a um, Polak. Korean people, they have, you know, maybe about more than 42 different names, you know, only for this fish. Wow. Because we, you, we use so many different methods, you know, to process this fish. So depends on the dried condition or whether it's a frozen or like it's a fresh it this fish has so many names i actually love that that um depending on where it is and its life cycle there's a different name mm-hmm. associated with it how is this huangte preserved it's a freezing dry method mm-hmm. but this area where we make this special fish it's amazing cord and we say this area has uh, the kind of blade cord the the wind is so brutal so it, you feel if you have the wind during the winter time in this area you feel almost you know the blade just strike your face it's so cold mm-hmm. it's so sharp but this this area has very cold area and so you dry them in the outside during the winter time and then this fish becomes you know freeze w- with the moisture 
And then when you have the moisture, when, when it is frozen, then it becomes, you know, bigger, right? Mm-hmm. And then during the daytime, this fish got thaw, it, it's thawing, and then it loses moisture again. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, stay connected wherever you go and transform your vehicle into a dependable Wi-Fi hotspot. Powering applications like real-time GPS and voice assistant, navigation becomes a breeze. Even on the practice field, AT&T in-car Wi-Fi keeps you connected while in proximity of your vehicle. Work, stream shows, or finish homework without missing a beat. See if you're eligible for a free trial at att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi. Don't let connectivity be a roadblock in your journey. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Because of the repeated freezing and thawing, Huang Tang, which is the pollock, develops a unique and fluffy texture. When cooked into a soup, it produces a milky-like stock. Yes. Uh, it's so, a very favorite. So Yang's co-founder at Buri Kitchen, Sonia Swanson, elaborates on the different preservation methods. Here's Sonia to further explain. Um, then the three fish that we kind of center for this piece are Kangwondo Hwangte, so Hwangte meaning dried pollock, and Kangwondo is a region in the north of South Korea. So if you're looking at the entire United Peninsula, it's kind of central, but in terms of just South Korea, it's on the northern part of the country. Mm-hmm. So what happens is in the wintertime, pollock from the East Coast are brought into this really snowy, cold, like 
valley in Kangwondo, or one of a few valleys, where they have this really cold wind that they call a like a translation is a knife wind. It's so cold, it's like biting like a knife, and they hang it in these like on these like wooden racks that are in the middle of a snowy field. So you're just like walking down these rows, and you can hear like the rustling sound of these like dried fish kind of moving in the wind, and it's such an incredible feeling. It's almost like you're in this like library of dried fish.、Um, <laughs> What does that smell like exactly? If you anything, know, there's very well. We went when the fish were pretty dried.、Um, I've not been out there when the fish were like fresh and freshly hung,、mm -hmm. but it's like so cold.、Mm -hmm. You know, you don't really smell that much. And then moving to Talado, which is a more southern west coast region. That's actually where my family's from. Um, and that's where we go down for like all the holidays. And so Tolado is a little bit warmer, and it's on the west coast, which has a much shallower sea that's more like mudflats. And the fish you get there are these small croakers.、Um, when you dry those, it's called kurubi. And so kurubi are salted, and then they're hung to dry for a while, and it. Dries very slowly because it's a very a, a more humid region. And what's kind of interesting about kurubi, and this is one of those like examples, I think of like how in some ways like Korea has become like hyper capitalist, is that there's this special kind of kurubi called bori kurubi or barley kurubi that's like dried in barley, and it's like a very labor intensive product like process. It's a very like luxury product. But if you go to like department stores in Seoul and go into the basement where all the food stands are, you can find, especially around the holidays, boxes of kurubi, like a box of ten kurubi, that is like over five hundred dollars. Wow. Yeah, for a single box. But the reason why I think those are so expensive is because around the holidays, especially like for certain kinds of business relationships and transactions, you're supposed to give like very expensive gifts to like. Be impressive, and so that is one of the very expensive gifts you you can give, and it's it's usually given in like you know very specific business contexts, you know to, and occasionally for bribes. Although some laws have been passed to outlaw how much you can spend on a gift for certain government employees. There's a region called Gyeongsangdo, and Gyeongsangdo is also like. You know, got a lot of like seaports. It's on the east coast, like near the East Sea, which has like very cold, deep blue waters. And Taeyang and I went down to this really cool like area of of Gyeongsang Province called Kuryong Harbor. And in that area, it's like a very traditional, famous kind of dried fish. There's a, there's a very traditional, famous dried fish there called Kwamegi. And I had actually not had had kwamegi outside of Korea before coming to Korea ever because it's one of those things that doesn't ship very well. So the way that kwamegi is made, it was usually traditionally made with herring, but the herring populations kind of started to drop off in the last few years.、So、they've started to replace it with Pacific sori, which is a little smaller. But I think they're both both herring and sori are known for having a lot of like oil. Mm -hmm. um, they're very oily fish, and this is like why this fish is so delicious. I don't know about you, but I, I love oily fish. Same, yeah. What's cool is that 
they'll like fillet these fish and they'll, so rather than drying them whole as you do with huangte and gulbi, kwamegi is dried as a fillet. So they will hang up these fillets by the ocean. And what's cool is that the temperature kind of fluctuates and you get, you know, sort of similar kind of like freezing and warming that results in a little bit of like expansion and contraction of the flesh, similar to hangte. But this fish is like, again, really oily. Like when we went there, you could see like the oil literally dripping off of the fillets that were sitting in the salty, you know, ocean breeze in the sun. And so because of that, you get this like really chewy, really intensely flavored fish fillet. And it's almost like this really amazing fish jerky. Um, and it's like wow. so good. <laughs> so good. What's interesting about Korean food that I think is not always seen as broadly in the U.S. is that it's such a seafood-centric cuisine. Like, it's surrounded on three sides by ocean. Like, there's a ton of seafood in the diet. And one of the ways, I mean, there are many ways of preserving seafood, like one of them being salting and um, preserving in brine. But one of the most popular ways is by drying them. Um, and there are different techniques of drying fish for different regions and different kinds of fish. So, for example, the most common dried fish you'll find in almost every Korean meal, and even if it's just in the form of soup stock, is dried anchovy. Like, that is a staple. Like, every Korean kitchen will have dried anchovy. Um, and then- Here's Young to talk further about the problems and devastation caused by overfishing in Korea. Uh- Fish. It was very common fish in Korea a long time ago, and we used to catch them so much. That's why I think you know people started developing you know new methods you know to preserve this fish. But all of a sudden, like during 80s or 70s, we started you know catching too much, like overfishing it. And then the sad, sadly, we don't have it anymore these days. Mm. But that's part of your, I mean, that's really part of the beauty of your work is that you are mm-hmm. uh, helping to keep these traditions and the awareness of these traditions alive. Mm-hmm. So another fish that I was really interested in because of the the salt cured methodology mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. the gobi. We use yellow corbina fish mm-hmm. for to make this one and long time ago we didn't have a refrigerator system so people started you know cure with salt and then they started you know drying it's the same method like you can keep it longer time and uh, you can eat it like you know all year round mm-hmm. but again sadly we are losing because of the overfishing you know we are losing this fish too so these days, mostly it's, you know, we import a lot from China and then we cure it in Korea. Yeah, Sonia, I think this is a very important but nuanced point that you've brought up here uh, because often the immigrant experience is conveyed in terms of loss or sadness. But what I'm interested in which is sort of what your mother has instilled upon you, is the ways that we can make new what was previously lost. And I think that becomes one of the central questions and the central work of many immigrants to 
in effect, make their own history part of their contemporary work. Like Jihei and Soyoung, Sonia has her own memories of kimchi being made by her mother. I mean, I grew up eating Korean food, so there was always kimchi in our fridge. Like, we would have kimchi on the Thanksgiving table next to the turkey. You know, it was like sort of there, but I don't think I really understood like the process by which it was made, like the the ferment the fermenting and like the the science behind it, the fact that, you know, that so much time goes into it. And I think like I've been thinking a lot about just about like what Korean American food is, because a lot of places where we were living growing up, my mom didn't have access to like a Korean grocery store. So like I remember sometimes she would make um, kimchi using like Chinese cabbage, Thai fish sauce, Mexican red chili pepper, you know, and it was this this like really American blend of ingredients that was an approximation of the kimchi she had growing up. And it's just not to say that like one thing is more authentic than the other. Like I, I don't think that my mom's, you know, Americanized kimchi was not authentic. It was authentic to like our lived experience. Right. Of course. Yeah. Um, so for me to go back though and taste a different kind of Korean food, like taste, you know, kimchi that was made from ingredients that were cut in the field like two days before, you know, mm-hmm. um, for me to like taste this penjang that was like straight from an earthenware pot that was sitting in the sun. Those flavors made me realize, I think more than anything, how much my mom lost by immigrating, like the things that you mm-hmm. lose, like the flavors and the tastes and the, the food that you lose by Moving to a new country, um, it just made me kind of a little bit more aware of, like, the subtleties of, like, the hardships that she experienced, too. You know, the distancing she had from her homeland. We'd like to thank our guest today, Sunmi Lee, the owner of Jeon Jong Bibimbap in Los Angeles, California, Chef Ji Hae Kim of Miss Kim in Ann Arbor, Michigan, Seong Jung and Sonia Swanson, the co-founders of Buri Kitchen. And I would like to give a special thanks to my business partner, Melissa Shi, for helping me bring this episode together. That's all for this episode of Point of Origin. Thanks for listening and supporting the Whetstone podcast, where we travel the world to champion food as a means of expanding human empathy. Please, if you like what you've just heard, rate us, review us, give us five stars so that we can continue to make these podcasts just for you. To keep abreast with all things Whetstone, follow us on IG at Whetstone Magazine or online at whetstonemagazine.com. That's W-H-E-T-S-T-O-N-E magazine.com where you will find the latest on all things Whetstone, including the details from today's show, 
and information about purchasing our print magazine. Special thanks to Celine Glacier, our lead producer, to Kat Hong, our editor, Quentin LeBeau, our production intern, and thanks to our friends at iHeartRadio for helping us bring you this podcast, to Gabrielle Collins, our supervising producer, and to Christopher Hasiotis, our executive producer. I'm your host, The Origin Forager, Stephen Satterfield, and we'll be back here next week with more from Whetstone Magazine's Point of Origin podcast. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.